Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey there, podcast listener. Have you ever been listening to Wizard and the Bruiser and thought to yourself, I wish I could see just how fat Jake and Holden are in real life. Don't lie. We know all about your weird inside thoughts, listeners. Well, now you can make that dream a reality because Wizbrew and Page 7 are going on tour. Austin, Dallas, Milwaukee, Chicago, Minneapolis, D.C., Philly, Brooklyn, San Francisco, L.A. Nowhere is safe from an all-new show we're calling Release the Butthole Cut. Ew. Come join your fellow LPN fans for a night of pop culture chaos that's fun for the whole family, assuming your family consists of equally broken weirdos in their 30s. It's going to be a blast. Tickets are on sale right now at lastpodcastnetwork.com. Go, go now. There's VIP meet and greet passes available as well in case you want to get, you know, a little extra close, uh, especially personal. I legally have to clarify that there is no sexual element involved. I mean, unless, you know. Okay, cheese chick. All right, stop winking. All right, buddy. It's page seven and Wizard and the Bruiser live. Go to lastpodcastnetwork.com for dates and tickets. I, I, Lico, Wizard, Holden McNeely, Unido, Wita, Kalulu, Kamimi, Nulu, Katulu, Unai, Bruiser, Jake. <laughs> and that was Furbish for me, very happy, me like you, listen, Wizard, Holden McNeely. Uh, tell me a joke. <laughs> I think I said. What did you just say? <laughs> I think I said me upside down and uh, sunlight. Good morning. <laughs> oh my god! I I may have actually cursed out an entire race of people uh, because I said Lula instead of Lulu. It's, Lord help us, Holden. This week we are talking about the. I'm going to say the quintessential Zillennial toy franchise that has burned its way into 
uh, our hearts, our nightmares, and also the queer community in ways that I think the original inventors could never have anticipated. You know, I just want to say I don't like what this topic has done to Jake. It's clearly seeped into his mind in a disturbing way that, why, you know, I would have thought would have would have come about talking about, you know, some creepy, the exorcist or something like that, you know. But no, it was Furby. Furby has tainted you. I see a glint in your eyes I never saw before. Listen, just because I have a wide wild-eyed, frothing energy about these incredible (laughs) toys, the uh, unique way that they kind of were at once this, like, complete and total innovation, but also the end result of, like, the entirety of our pre-smartphone era of digital, of electronic toys is just the fact that uh, we can now buy on Etsy biblically accurate Furbies. There's long Furbies, mm. spider Furbies. Yep. There's Furbies that you can hack, Furbies that you can turn into uh, a synthesizer. There's uh, you can there's Furbies that have been forbidden by the government. The fact that they, you, we could go into the fake Furbies. I'm talking about Chilla Chilla, Kubi, Dubby, Fubi, Ferdy, and of course everyone's favorite, uh, Poopy. Poopy the fake Furby. It's an actual product. You can look it up. It was Japanese. (laughs) But what is your personal experience with, and we're going to lump this into this episode as well a little bit too, because it really, the the pure inspiration for the Furby is the Tamagotchi, and it all came about around the same time of this like, uh, the 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 interactive pet rock essentially movement of uh we're the talking early to, late 90s we're early talking 2000s gigapets we're talking for real friends it all just yeah. kind of bubbled up from the Pog- imi- pokemon pokemon i'll throw pokemon. that in there yeah a little, a little bit. bit a little bit it all kind of came about because of the tamagotchi and i uh it, you know it was only a year or two where the tamagotchi hit before the furby but I was absolutely obsessed with like little digital gadgets. If it had a okay. grainy, low-resolution LCD screen on it, I desired it more than my next breath. And so even though the Tamagotchi was explicitly for girls, uh, it was a it was the toy for caretaking. It was the toy for attending. I was actively made fun of for having one. But Jake, you weren't alone. It was, yes, very heavily marketed to girls, uh, which is a little no, bit Digimon, pejorative. But he, which we talked about also yeah. uh, as part of the Tamagotchi lineage, was the tough boy fighting Tamagotchi. But Tamagotchi proved to be very successful with uh, all genders and anything in between. And, uh, you know, it was definitely something. Teachers because it was definitely something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it was just such a massive distraction <laughs> and yet fit in the, your pocket and wasn't technically pornography or anything mm-hmm. super wrong just it was the actually most quite wholesome disruptive object before the invention of the smartphone <laughs> but that's i'm so glad you're saying this to me right now jake because i was not into any of this stuff i it's funny that i'm the dad now um i had very little interest in and even still do like i'm not a big you know Animal, uh, uh, which Crossing. what am I thinking of? Cro- yeah, Animal Horizon or or whatever. Uh, God, I mean, what's wrong with me? Maintenance. You don't want to. You already have I'm to maintain not a maintenance a thing. guy. Stardew Valley or anything where you're kind of doing that sort of like constantly taking care of something. If if that's in a game, I hope it's minimal. I want to go out there with a big sword and watch two people fuck. I wanna I want to get out there. <laughs> you're not with fighting a anything. And a just, sword. <laughs> no, I, I want to take a shield and a sword. Scrolls where it's like arise, chosen one. 
Sauron, grab the blade of Glarnock and enter a field of battle. But first, check out these two getting a little hanky panky. Just watch. Wow. They're really hot and heavy for each other, man. I'm like licking my blade yeah. and all that good stuff, you know, getting real fun with it. Yeah, I like to, you know, you know, RPGs where sex can be viewed. You know what I mean? I mean, this is everyone knows that about me. And so I wasn't an upkeep guy, so I never had a Furby. I never had a Tamagotchi. I'll just start with my little gush because I really want Jake to go ham on this one uh, a little bit since he does have actual experience. I mean, I remember seeing it from afar, totally like curious about it as like a giant fad. You know what I mean? It was it was one of those in the long series along with Pogs and all that. That's kind of how I viewed it. Mm-hmm. But it was very fascinating for sure. And with Furbies, I just remember um, how Henry tortured Jackie with one of those newer Furbies. He got her one for Christmas. The one with the LCD eyes? The And it kept like she tried to like hide it in a closet and stuff like that and it would always like find a way to like communicate with her and mm-hmm. like torture her and make her go insane and it was such a funny little thing and that was definitely the end joke for me was like there's something you know we'll get into it more as we go but there's something about the Furby that's inherently perfect for like horror and like torture horror specifically and and uh, this sort of thing but Jake did you have a Furby or just Tamagotchis I just had a Tamagotchi I explicitly avoided Furbies because uh, let's just uh, you know this is the elephant in the room they are unsettling. They are unsettling to look at. <laughs> eyes forward like a predator. D- like bleary, dreamy, giant eyelashes fluttering. The <laughs> movements are so like organic yet herky-jerky. Even the ways that you interact with the Furbies, the fact that like to feed them, you just have to like put your finger in its mouth. And the thing about it is that it was this like it's 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 like one of those early artificial intelligence puzzle boxes, like the Chinese <laughs> translator experiment or something where like you don't know exactly how the ghost in the machine works. So it could, right. in theory, be capable of listening to you. It could be capable of thinking. It could be capable of anything, which learning just how rudimentary and basic the actual mechanics of the Furby was is it makes all of the the horrors and controversies surrounding the initial release hilarious in hindsight but you know it was supposedly listening to you and evolving and the uh even its gibberish even furbish the gibberish language has all these like disparate elements of like hebrew and thai and japanese so it like feels like it's really communicating uh with this just rinky dink jim henson aesthetic where they just had to get as much like uh, animation out of a single electric motor as possible. So it's like clinking and clanking and whirring and jittering while it's trying to like befriend you. And there's something truly horrifying. There is something distrustful about the Furby, which conversely, through the lens of time, I think really uh, endeared itself to... Uh, a lot of disenfranchised people, a lot of alienated people, uh, you know, I'm painting with a very broad brush, but if you were neuroatypical, if you were LGBTQ+, if you were uh, just, you know, had trouble communicating with others, there was something about the Furby, which at once was like trying to communicate, but also unsettling others that they like kind of in in modern parlance has kind of uh, been reborn through websites like Tumblr and Twitter and YouTube, 
where people beautify and embrace the uncanny valleyness of the Furby and celebrate uh, yeah. its bizarre energy in ways that uh, I don't think were originally intended by the Hasbro Corporation. Which I find incredible. I, can you tell I've been thinking about this a lot, Holden? I've been thinking <laughs> about Furbies a lot. I will say, me and my uh, middle school buddies, we did find a Furby and open it up one time. We found the Lawnmower Man. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I could. I was like, "What are you doing in there, little guy?" And he was like, "Let me do a jitterbug for you." And he just started dancing for us. Then we shot him in the head with a tiny gun. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I, I I would also like to offer the creepy long Furby is such a hit also largely because it's like both incredibly unsettling and creepy mm-hmm. and in no way actual like violence or, you know, any kind of something awful forum style like like. It's like a perfect balance of it's terrifying and yet incredibly safe. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In the sense of content uh, out there. It's like that that exact sweet spot of internet fodder where you go, oh, this is horrific, you know, but it's not like an actual opened up person. But love them or hate them, there were 68 million Furbies out there in the world. It was a yep. bona fide toy sensation, a staple of the toy box for decades and decades. And the generation that grew up with these um, just just bleary-eyed owl fuckers uh, has grown up, and now they're defining the <laughs> culture. And re- why are they owl? They're owl-looking motherfuckers. <laughs> Who are you calling an owl-looking? Yeah, they are. They're owl um, gizmos, essentially. They're <laughs> owl mogwais, and uh, the mogwai definitely ended up at least appearing to be an influence. Uh, as we find out a little bit, Joe Dante himself, director of the Gremlins, ended up getting in touch with um, Bandai, I believe, or whatever it is, and, and uh, being like, hey, what the fuck? This looks like Gizmo. And now there's a Gizmo Furby. We'll get there. The Furby is an electronic robot toy out of America, first released by Tiger Electronics in 1998. It's a horrifying hamster owl hybrid creature that must be destroyed at all costs and was the must-have toy of the holiday season after launch with 1.8 million sold in 1998 and 14 million in 1999 alone three men uh, are responsible for this abomination they are david hampton caleb chung and richard c levy are you friend to the by the way to the furby jake or are you foe i clearly feel um a contention with the furby i feel we neither uh, myself and they can both exist in the same mortal plane one of us must be stopped uh how do you feel i genuinely am disgusted by the furby i wish i could see (laughs) what others see in it but if this has been a long-standing thing uh there's something about like 1980s style animatronics there's something about practical creature effects that I just will always find a little bit uh, just unseemly, a little bit spooky, a little bit cosmically horrifying in a way that uh, I still am talking to a therapist about unpacking. Yeah. And the fact is, is that the Furby is kind of born from the entirety of like 80s toy design and practical effects uh, design because it really is a refinement and like just total... Like down to the micro scent component by component way to get an animatronic robot with some kind of interactivity into American kids' hands for a price under a hundred dollars. Um, do you, can 
Do you want to talk about the inventors? Because like they're fascinating guys. Yeah, please. Let's start with David uh, David Hampton. David Hampton grew up in Roseville, Michigan, and was obsessed with the inner workings of electronics, having filled the basement of his family home with appliances like broken radios, which he would fix for his neighbors at a price. He was that kid, you know? Mm-hmm. The kid who was always taking shit apart. And you're like, why do you do that? Why don't you play with normal toys? What's fucking wrong with you? Throw rocks at him. Throw <laughs> rocks at that child. And then we're adult men doing this sort of activity. Activity. It was uh, horrifying the way we treated these children. This enthusiasm led to a job at just 13 years old in a TV repair shop while on the side he was building stuff like a World War II radar system and a ham radio, which he used to accidentally jam up the local police frequency. Uh, he read in an issue of Popular Mechanics that the best electronic school was the Navy. So after high school, he enlisted starting in 1970 with a sp- uh, specialty in aviation electronics this the dude loved tinkering so much that he joined the military voluntarily during the vietnam war just so we're clear about what a like little gizmo fidgety uh uh, tinkering weirdo this guy is but because he did that he ends up just discovering or he ends up essentially encountering what will later be a foundational element of Furby's because he was traveling the world all during his time and he was learning all these different languages something that would uh, something that would be just such a big part of his life including Japanese Thai Chinese Hebrew so all these languages are swirling around in his head this is the, just so we're just so we understand one of the things that I think really makes Furby unique is that David Hampton and Caleb Chung really had like almost carte blanche to make this thing as they envisioned it in a way that like, uh, you know, several other toy makers would end up getting like things changed by committee, things changed by focus groups. The the furbish word for light is alo, which David literally says he took from the Hebrew word for God, Elohim. Which also means like, uh, you know, light, a holy light. Right, right. So like there's like mysticism and like weird soul in energy that they have imprinted yep. in this device. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. After the Army, he got work in Silicon Valley doing freelance work, such as helping to design the video game Qbert and working on projects. He did the Atari port for Qbert. Oh, cool, cool, which, cool. Which, uh, Actually, is kind of a uh, this is part of kind of what why these are the only guys who could have made Furby is that um, basically, do you remember like the speak and spell 
and like other kind of like early eighties electronic toys. Uh, like, it's kind of I, I, I talk boy comes to mind a little bit. Talk boy is like that's analog, not early like 80s, digital though. like the cow says moo. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's it's it was this early kind of uh, technology in the eighties, specifically uh, LPC based uh, voice synthesizers that were popular uh, mainly through Texas Instruments and the 6502 processor, which was a basically the bottom bin microprocessor in tons of 80s computers that David just got like on the ground floor knowledge of this shit. Like the Furby is built in assembly language. And even though he can say all these phrases, it's only, uh, I'm sorry, I gendered the Furby. That was a mistake on my part. Obviously, every <laughs> yeah, Furby is Furby's an angelic genderless. being beyond our duality that we try and impose on it. Gender's not even a construct where the Furby comes from. There's nothing. Nothing exists where the Furby comes from. It, it, it comes from some sort. Have you ever seen End of Evangelion? Yeah, like primordial goo. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's essentially uh, what where the Furby comes from and, and it, what any sense of gender might be. It's a, sort of a liquid in Furbish and Furby land. But just as part of his just like base training and education and early jobs, he like had a fundamental understanding of the guts of these 80s electronics components that by the time it was the 90s were now the cheapest electronics components you could get for a toy, thus making sure that the pre- he could get the most functionality out of these outdated parts for cheap. Sorry, this is just, part of, again, fascinating stories. Yeah, and it was also around this time that he ended up meeting the lawnmower man. <laughs> and uh, it was a digital man. And he said, look, I want to be put inside a tiny furry being, and I want to torture men, children, uh, you know, and everything in between. I would like to torture pets, and I would like to torture even inanimate objects if I could find a way. And he said, I think I might have a home for you. Uh, in the early 90s, he formed Sounds Amazing, a design and consulting company. In 1997, after several years passed, he ends up going to New York for the annual Toy Fair trade show, where he first encountered the Tamagotchi, a handheld digital pet created in Japan and released in Bandai by Bandai in November of 1996. More on that in just a second. Uh, in this small egg-shaped device, there's three buttons. One takes care of a digital pet by feeding it, training it, playing games with it, while also helping it use the bathroom. This new toy blew Hampton's mind, but he did see something it was missing. You can't pet it, he said. Uh, and he tried to tape fur onto the Tamagotchi in front of the, the people this working the stand, this and he is, was tackled by the lie. police. This did not happen. Well, the lawnmower man thing's real, all right? I stand by that. I found an interview, uh, an old interview. You wouldn't be able to find it, Jake. It was a deep in the dark web uh, that told me about that. Uh, but yeah, Right next he, to he, the heroin for Bitcoin store was an interview <laughs> with the creator of the Furby. <laughs> Yeah, it was weird. It was, I don't know what was going on. Uh, he he. Uh, but yes, he did say you can't pet it, and he, that inspired him to return to his home base to begin designing his own robot pet, which he dubbed Furball. More on Furball though in a second. Now I want to pull the brakes on this and take a little detour uh, and tell you a brief history 
of the Tamagotchi, if if you don't mind. Jake, do you mind? Why would I? This is this is very. This is, we do an educational podcast, Holton. I would. Why would I deny our wonderful audience knowledge? Sometimes you get angry with me about trying to convey knowledge to our audience. I don't know why you say, please, I hate learning. I think that no one should learn. It's very weird that you'd be a part of a show like this. You're throwing me under the bus for things I've never done and things I don't <laughs> deserve. Well, the lawnmower man thing is real, though, Jake. How have you know? Back in 1996, uh, Kahiro Yokoi was the president of the Wiz Company, headquartered in Tokyo. It was a toy design firm. Aki Maita, his partner in the creation of the Tamagotchi, worked at Bandai in sales and marketing. Of course, we all know, you know, Bandai Namco, massive producer of so many different entertainments and amusements. Legend has it that Yokoi saw a commercial on TV in which a boy wasn't allowed to take his pet turtle on vacation. And this resonated with Yokoi, who had many, many pets and remembers the difficulty with trying to bring them everywhere. Again, the kid who takes apart all the radios and shit and mm-hmm. has a basement full of random electronics parts. There was also the kid who had way too many pets and always mm-hmm. brought them on field trips. And he was really annoying. And like they ended up getting into like some cute girl's hair and she ended up screaming and, you know, murdering. Murdering the pet, usually. It was all thing. Holden, if there's one thing we've learned from our many years of covering the history of uh, inventions, inventors, and creatives, it's that it's truly the dreamers, the future lookers, the prescient pioneers of our times that Someone were the, the weirdest little kids. Just, just <laughs> the most awkward little garbo children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, completely. So the solution, therefore, was to create a virtual pet that could fit in your pocket. Pocket. Yokoi then contacted Maita, his contact of Bandai, to distribute the device. The initial idea was to develop it as a wristwatch. So the name Tamagotchi is actually a mashup of the words Tamago, which translates to egg, Mm -hmm. and Uochi, which translates to watch. Watch. So it was supposed to be egg watch. Egg watch. Like a wristwatch. The toy was a tough sell, both to Bandai as well as toy shops. They didn't really understand it. It's so funny now because it's such a constant. I mean, everybody loves, you know, Animal Crossing any of that stuff you know what i mean yeah and they still make tamagotchis like the idea of upkeep as a toy you know it, it's it's such a, g- a given at this point but yeah people are like why would people want to take care of something wait 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 Sounds hear, like me, a out, burden to hear me. me out though it dies huh <laughs> don't you want to give your kids something that dies so what's funny about that is in the Japanese version, of course, it's like a little just a tomb digital tombstone pops up mm-hmm. on the screen and your pet is fucking dead. In the American version, it gets whisked away to its homeland, <laughs> to its uh, home planet. I have whatever. to go back to my home planet now. <laughs> like literally, like literally, Jake, like they do the Simpsons thing. It's so funny. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, it was a very tough sell, but it did test incredibly well with the, the most important group ever when it comes to marketing and whatnot, teenage girls. It did so well that they put it out on the market, even though they didn't quite understand it. And these little plastic eggs end up selling 5 million units in Japan in just the first six months. And then it hits the US and it just totally takes the nation by storm. And I remember this, Jake. I remember this being so fucking huge. So huge. You know, I kind of lamented a little bit because I don't really know if it exists anymore. You know what I mean? Like the fidget spinner was kind of big for a second. No, it, it comes the, every now and again. But for the most in. part, You're, as soon as Winnie is like old enough to like see commercials, she will be as enthralled. There's like, 
LOL surprise toys. There was like uh, squish mallows. There's been 800 toy fads since uh, the Tamagotchi. It is a lot. But will she? But will she see commercials, Jake? Will she actually view a commercial? I don't. We don't have TV in this house. I don't watch commercials. Sometimes, if Hulu makes me, I'll end up watching the same one commercial over and over again f- throughout the course She'll of an hour. She'll go to school, and all the kids will be like, I got a blueberry Kim Kim Bim Bam. And they'll be like, oh, that's neat. <laughs> but the new ones are like strawberry Kim Kim Bim Bams. And she'll come Jake, home and um, be like, Dad, I want a Kim Kim Bim Bam, and I'm going to scream until you buy me one. Jake, does that also mean maybe you have a... Kim Kim Jam Jam because I would really love to buy one from you. They sound really cool. <laughs> I already have eight hundred dollars listed on eBay and it's still going up. Oh damn it! People All are right, desperate fine. for this fake toy I made up eight seconds ago. <laughs> it introduced a new type of gameplay to the world: the nurturing something all throughout the day. It was you know, and it was obnoxiously marketed to the female audience, but it really it did become just popular as a with so much accessory. more. It was cute. Yeah. It was small. It was brightly colored. It fit on a keychain. It was a perfect. It could go on your backpack. It could go on your keys. It was just this like wonderful, cute, bespoke object that had a function yeah. on top of it. To this day, uh, even you know people. The long Furbies and there's all sorts. Furby has a second life, but Tamagotchis have almost never went away as part of like a Japanese cute core aesthetic in terms of accessorizing. And uh, it all came back full circle. That kid who couldn't take the turtle on the field trip ended up murdering his own turtle. What? And instead replacing it with several Tamagotchi. It's beautiful. That's, that sounds horrible. That's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Have you ever seen the movie Cannibal Holocaust? <laughs> That was that kid. This in is that this movie. Is so off the rails. <laughs> it's an episode about Furbies, Jake. You want me to sit here and t- talk seriously for the next hour? I mean, we can't. I, 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 it won't happen. Ideally. <laughs> All right. Well, let, how about this then? Let me f- fuck with you with these facts about Caleb Chung and Richard Levy. Let's get into them. The other part of this little triforce here, this little triumvirate. Caleb Chung, interesting guy, really fun in interviews, um, really whimsical, really sweet. The heart of the Furby lies mm-hmm. in Caleb. He grew up really poor. His family moved around a lot, and he had no formal education in electronics, just a high school degree. He claims for a year his family lived in a tent in the woods while his dad yes. was going to school. This is how poor they were. And it's so cute because while he was in the woods, he'd build these little fairy houses mm-hmm. and he'd hide them around the woods in hopes that like people hiking would discover them and think like real f- little fairies lived there. Very imaginative kid and really good with his hands and really good with creating his own fun. Uh, he attributes the chaotic element of his childhood to the aspect that he, quote, didn't grow up with boundaries in my thinking and feels, quote, a lot of creative people come out of rocky soil. He also, he loved solitude as a kid, and uh, he he enjoyed just kind of making his own fun, ma- you know, working with whatever scraps he found around. He had no, I mean, they were poor. Yeah, I I also read that. He said he went from a tent into a trailer as this, like, huge upgrade. Now, that's what we're talking about here. He met Hampton while working at Mattel and accompanied him to the toy fair where they encountered the Tamagotchi for the first time. Chung set out to create the hardware, which involved one single motor, something that was important for him in the design, as this would majorly cut costs. Mm-hmm. They created a simple prototype and a demo video, which involved a bit of trickery. They were making the Furby interact using a knob off camera that it was connected to, a little device. But they were getting there. 
there was uh, all sorts of tales of the intervening like nine months while they were trying to get the Furby. Once they decided they were going to do it of uh, getting the Furby off the ground. Uh, Hampton talks about an early demo where they uh, did not actually have the mechanics and the electronics inside the Furby at once. So he had to like. He tried to, yeah, use a remote to, like, activate the key phrases while the person was playing with the, you know, no brains mechanical doll. And at one point had to, like, (laughs) wire together with aluminum foil the disparate parts to shield them because there was too much interference. Like, Mm. it was this insane just refinement on refinement on refinement trying to get this down as efficiently as possible for as little cost as possible. Every single bit of the Furby is down to like fractions of a penny to get that price as low as possible. Yeah, Chung showed off a notebook that he worked with. He would have design uh, drawings and design stuff on the left side of each page. And on the right side, he would have uh, just philosophy. And it just seems so extensive and so elaborate, just picking apart every little element of this thing. Hamilton began with a script uh, himself when it came to the design of different ways one could interact with the furball, uh, which is what it was called again initially, and then developed a language for it, which was based on all the languages he picked up. Like uh, Jake said, another one, um, he used Mandarin as well. Um, the furbish word for big is da, which is big in Mandarin uh, and all that good stuff. And so, yeah, they slowly started piecing together this this bizarre made up language as well. So Chung, definitely more the handyman, the hardware guy. <laughs> Hamilton, a little bit more the like the the Hampton. idea Hampton. guy. Hampton, sorry, the idea guy. So sorry, Hamilton is a music, a hip hop musical. Yeah, I, I apologize. Because when the Furby is crying, you gotta give it some food, but you don't got the spoon, so you use your finger. I just want to linger. You gotta work hard and do your homework. Hey, it's me, the lawnmower man. I just killed a cop. Do you understand? I'm gonna kill you too. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Wait, it was 1999. There was some yeah. Austin Power in there. There was some Austin Powers references all throughout the lawnmower man speech at that time. It was a real weird situation. He's a digital guy. He lives in the digital world. You know, it is what it is. Uh, but they needed one more person involved that could bring them into the greater toy industry, and that guy was Richard C. Levy, who was the most successful of the group at the time. Levy got a degree at Boston's Emerson College in television and cinematography, actually. After school, he got into film promotion at Paramount before founding his own company that produced documentaries for film and TV. So far from this toy world. But in the 80s, he got involved in creating WorldNet, which I still don't quite understand. It was like a cable channel that had kind of weird programming. It was a satellite network. I don't know what's going on with it. I really try to figure out what WorldNet was because it sounded like some kind of dystopian nightmare company, but I couldn't really figure it out. But uh, on the side, while he was working on WorldNet, he enjoyed inventing games and toys as a hobby. And Levy is actually the one who spearheaded the deal with Tiger Electronics, to license the Furby in 1997. And that's why in this very same episode that we're talking about, the Tamagotchi and the Furby, we also get to talk about those weird, shitty tiger Hand handhelds. <laughs> I had I so just, many of those. I, I did too. Of course you did, because they were $20. And like, they weren't, you know, I mean, they were like a weird Game Boy replacement. Mm-hmm. And you could take them to school and... 
It was just a way to have a handheld, but not really have a handheld. And some of them were really fun, too. So like, there were a couple that actually were decent games. Most of them were fucking trash, though. Because the thing, the, the Nintendo Game & Watch all had very basic games. They were all very simple, kind of idle games that you could pick up and play. And there was, you know, it was just about getting a high score. Tiger Games tried to do like levels and bosses and, you know, there was a Street Fighter one with like special moves and different characters. And it was so janky, like it just could not fit onto that single LCD panel. It was no, so bad. I mean, I remember some of the sports ones were good. Mm. I think the Ninja Gaiden one was pretty decent. I remember there was a Metal Gear one. There was a Mega Man one. I just the oh, yeah. loftier the game was, the more I would yeah. beg for it. And even though time and time again, I was spurned. I would still hope maybe they figured it out for this one. And especially back at this time, because a lot of what Tiger was built around was licenses, RoboCop, Terminator, Spider-Man. So, and we were duped by it over and over again as kids. I mean, now the new Spider game comes out. It's actually really good. But if you remember back in the day during like the oh. Nintendo SNES Sega Genesis we all years. that Sinister Six piece of shit. Holy shit, bro. You would just, you ever over and over again, I'd be like, well, they got me again. I really <laughs> like Spider-Man. So I bought this stupid Spider-Man game and it sucks or that x-men game on sega genesis or pretty much anything that had after a while my new rule became if it's licensed avoid it Mm -hmm. only play games that are like original ips via gaming like it uh, you you know because it would just fail me every single time for many years there but Regardless, little history on Tiger Electronics. It was founded in 1978 by Gerald, Randy, and Arnold Rissman. I couldn't figure out if they were brothers or cousins or lovers. I couldn't figure out what was going on with the three guys. But all three of their last names were Rissman. That's for damn sure. It was an electronics stuff. They made stuff like phonographs, which is hilarious. I couldn't find anything else that they made. Why the phonograph? I, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's 1978, not 1958. This would change in the 90s, or even 48. This would change in the 90s when they started putting out cheap handheld LCD games, which became their huge moneymaker. I mean, and, and and it was 20 bucks a pop. It was cheaper than any other handheld thing in the market. And if you like weren't alive during this time, I just need you to know they were fucking everywhere. Mm-hmm. Everybody had at least one. You would go to a friend's house and play the shit. Like, or or if you'd go on a class trip, mm-hmm. we were trading them all around. Mm-hmm. It was just so constant and like and like it was just such a regular part of gaming and it's completely non-existent now i feel like um i also had i don't know if tiger made it but i had a super mario bros wristwatch that was real shitty that played lcd games on it and stuff and i was like yes it's a way for me to sneak in video games whilst that's in class (laughs) and it was a terrible terrible thing but it reminded me a lot of those tiger handhelds so this is lucky for him and Chung because right after the ink dried on the deal with Tiger, it turns out Tiger was about to be bought out by Hasbro and their existing deal with Tiger, which gave them all this like oversight and all this like deep control over the production and mechanics and just uh, design of the Furby stayed with them. But they had a much bigger distribution and manufacturing base that they could work with. So... This is where a lot of the interesting things about the creation of the Furby is refined. So number one, they had to work with a single electric motor and the mechanics of how they can get so much motion and expression out of a single motor 
is a incredibly complicated series of cams and gears that can turn both ways. Uh, if it the motor spins in one direction, it locks into a uh, like a specific set of like you know the little lean motion, the little leg motions. The if it spins forward, it can go into the blink and ear flap and mouth cycles. And the system has a lot of neutral states. So as by spinning backwards and forwards in a like kind of um, in a way determined by the input from the various sensors on the Furby, it creates this like seemingly random, seemingly lifelike uh, series of motions from what is one single motor spinning. It's uh, if you look up a autopsy video, a teardown of these original Furbies. It's it's almost like looking at like a cuckoo clock or a Swiss watch. There's so much like intricate little movements and latches that have to click into place in order to create the unified idea of this thing moving. Um, the actual electronics are all based on, like I said, uh, the 6502 and a basic, uh, what was the, what was it called? The uh, LPC uh, speech synthesizer. So even though it only has just a couple of K of memory, it can produce a reasonable amount of sounds. There's tons of cheap, uh, just as cheap basic sensors that they could throw in for just a couple of cents. There's a light sensor. So it knows that when the lights have dimmed or gone brighter, uh, Hampton was very proud of picking the specific kind of light sensor that could uh, determine a shift in lighting, not just have on and off so that it could grow accustomed to a child's like baseline lighting and know whether like it's things are brighter or darker. There I is will a say motion real quick, sensor. I, I think it is that infrared sensor. I realize, like in hindsight, because I'm like, what makes this thing so fucking creepy to look like? It appears like just above its eyeballs in the middle as if it has like a third eye, mm-hmm. as if it's like reached nirvana through meditating several years of meditation and now it can like see God. Uh, I think that's a part of what makes them a little creepy. It was Hampton's son, allegedly or anecdotally, that when looking at the prototype said, so what happens when it sees another one? And Hampton was like, nothing. And he was like, that's dumb. And so they sourced an infrared receiver uh, and they had to like negotiate with a factory that makes uh, remote controls because, again, for cost cutting procedures, they didn't want any of the circuitry that encoded TV signals like they really just everything was just down, 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 down. So smart, though. So smart because it's simple yet complex. It's going to give a price point out that is absolutely acquirable for for the general public, even though it's doing a lot of things that seem incredibly like on the cutting edge of technology. Really brilliant design approach. There's a uh, basic microphone that can't, uh, you know, it doesn't interpret speech in any way, but it knows when it's being like when there's noises or when it's being spoken at. Um, And there's like fun little interactions that like, uh, Hampton would just add more and more as he was refining it. Like if you, uh, some people have this thing where if there's a bright light flickering in their eyes, they'll feel the urge to sneeze. Uh, so Hampton just rigged the light sensor that was already on it. So it would know when to wake up and go to bed, uh, to make it sneeze if lights flashed in its face. And there's people that like, uh, have anecdotes of, I was just dusting my house and I was cleaning the Furby and it sneezed. And I was like, oh my God, I blew dust in its face. Like just the fact that you didn't understand how it exactly worked made it feel all the more magical. And famously, mm-hmm. 
The supposed AI, the idea that it was learning as you talk to it, was basically just a set of predetermined routines. I believe it was based on how many spins of the motor. It kept track of how long the motor was running. And so the more you interacted with it, the more the motor ran. And so once you reached a certain threshold of uh, the activity, which if you were a kid or an adult, you just assumed that you playing with it meant that it was learning from the play, but it really was just on time. The more it was just activated, the closer it would get to converting to full English. And there were four discrete stages. And so more and more it would learn or it would adopt more English phrases. And thus it was alive. It was learning. It had AI. So much so. Yeah. yeah, So much so that the National Security Agency was worried it was recording conversations, especially because it did have that little microphone in it. It just wasn't actually like taking in real recordings or anything and using that to learn the English that was totally separated. So uh, they had this had to be debunked uh, for the National Security Agency by Tiger Electronics owner Roger Schiffman. But it was very, very much a cause of security concern for a little bit there, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, this thing basically had the same hardware as an Atari 2600. But because it was so futuristic and so like it touched the imaginations of the American populace so hard uh it was forbidden on airplanes it was like just people thought it was this advanced miracle computer that could like send out radio signals to like enemy spies and like disrupt computers and let out emps and it really was just all these really just it was just a little bit of advanced clockwork puppetry and some cheap ass 80s computer components shoved in a little plastic egg and and covered in uh acrylic fur That was another controversy, Uh, like the fake ASPCA or fake PETA or somebody uh, put out a fake press release saying that the Furbies were actually made with dog and cat fur, (laughs) which prompted Hasbro to have to clarify and say, it's acrylic. It's fake. I don't know. Please. Why are we? I still believe it's dog and cat fur. I still or at least I think that the Furby maybe starts with fake fur. But as it slowly eats your pets, (laughs) it it eventually uh, gains the fur of the dog and cat. It is the alf. They called it of of early 2000s toys. The uh, Furby was also engineered to um, use as little battery power as possible. It was basically uh, David Hampton talks about how he took the bare minimum of a dying battery's voltage and made sure that that was the base level of power it needed to operate. And uh, he even included a backup battery so that as people switched out the Furby, it wouldn't like uh, lose progress. And this led to a lot of horror stories where people had their Furby unplugged or, you know, with the batteries gone in a closet somewhere. And then a couple hours later, it would just go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that'll do it. Furbies uh, would, you know, the light sensor wouldn't be calibrated light or right, or it would go to sleep. But then, you know, little Billy turned on a nightlight and it would come to life seemingly without any interaction. (laughs) There would be like a low level noise that triggered the microphone. There were all sorts of things where like the Furby had a mind of its own, even though it was, again, just input-output. It's just a couple of kilobytes of assembly language code in a fucking robot. Uh, You know, it's not that complicated. You can, but still, we just, a sci-fi, 
just brainwashed populace just thought anything was possible. So the toy made its first appearance at the same toy fair in 1997 that they discovered the Tamagotchi. And in October of 1998, its first official public debut happened at New York's FAO Schwartz toy store. By the end of its first week, it had 35,000 of the furry little guys on back order. And some were selling them for hundreds of dollars around the holiday season as they were the big item of the holiday that year. Chung said, Furby was a big hit because it, on purpose, was made to let you believe it was alive. All electronic toys up to then were, squeeze my hand, I'll count to 10, a very self-centered toy. And so it became human in a way that other products hadn't been. It became human and present. And he also added, and people thought that was scary and weird (laughs) and freaky because it encroaches on being human. Goddamn right, Chung. It's freaky, man. You made a monster. You you know, you're the Oppenheimer of toys. I'm saying it right now. It really is kind of interesting that the Furby was so successful on the heels of the Tamagotchi because like at this point, we're like Japanese kawaii aesthetics has pretty much taken over toy culture in a lot of ways. And the Furby is absolutely still deeply rooted in like Gen X. 70s Jim Henson ass like HR Puff and stuff American children's yeah. stuff which again I find incredibly freaky like the Furby yeah. looks like it should be in the background of Labyrinth it should not you know it shouldn't have been one of the hottest toys of the no- late 90s 2000s BP added more than 70 billion dollars to the US economy in 2022 Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So apparently it did not actually slip past director Joe Dante of Gremlins that the Furby design was quite similar to Gizmo from that film. Joe Dante said, producer Mike Fennell and I noticed a certain similarity between Furby and Mogwai and pointed it out to Warner Bros. Soon there was a Gizmo Furby for sale and no doubt some settlement money changed hands. So that's right. They released the Gizmo Furby in 1999. The Gizmo Furby was a part of the Furby Friends line, which also gave E.T. the Furby treatment. They also released a line of Furby Babies, which were smaller and could learn English more quickly than the original ones. And don't forget Shelby, the rat as hell, bad boy of the toy line that was a little (laughs) bit cruder, a little bit ruder, and was also a furry clam. Shelby could actually smoke real cigarettes (laughs) and Shelby hated school. If you took Shelby to school, Shelby would (laughs) scream and rattle around until you... Scream and scream and scream. 
scream and scream. And they had better speakers on Shelby. So it really, really, you couldn't put it, you couldn't cover it in soundproofing gear or anything. You would just constantly hear it scream if you took it anywhere near a school. So during the Furby heyday, there's just, they release basically the same toy, but in tons of different colorways. You know, there's Generation 1, which has classics like the Snowball, the Witch's Cat, the Church Mouse. There's Generation 2, which has the Tiger Stripe, the Owl Fuzzy Ones. Generation 3 with the Frog and the Elephant. Generation 4 with the Ladybug and the Tie-Dye. Just more and more and more and more Furbies all released, uh, including special editions, such as the Millennial Edition, like you talked about. There was a urban legend that this Furby was for sale only at the gift shop at the World Trade Center, and they were destroyed in 9-11. That is not true. Mm. There's the Santa Furby, which was very popular. The rare Bejeweled Furby, only three of which exist in the world, uh, released as part of a uh, a auction by FAO Schwartz that was actually be, uh, decked in platinum jewelry and actual jewels costing $100,000. And the uh, the true the true like uh, 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 the 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 white whales of Furby collecting were the uh, contest Furby, such as the High Sea Limited Edition and the Kid Cuisine Limited Edition that you could only get ah, from kid winning cuisine. a contest. Yeah, Kid Cuisine. Wow, that's bringing me back. Oh, even the Kid more Cuisine one. Sorry, that's a huge get. You want that if you are collecting Furbies. Here, I've I've uh, I've attached it into our no, chat. No, don't. Oh, Jake, I don't, oh. <laughs> oh, there was also tie-ins all over the world because Furbies were being released all over the world. Um, they were huge in Japan. They were huge in Europe. In fact, in Spain, they even released a Furby Mix CD album, which included covers of such hits as uh, Shares Believe and my favorite, uh, Mambo Number no. 5, April, hit it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, now I said April hit it. <laughs> yeah, now, it now you hear the bad songs. And it did get me back. It got me back, Jake. It absolutely got me back. That is horrific, and I want to forget it almost more than um, Katy Perry's Simlish. goes in the same category. <laughs> Very much in the same category as the... Uh, <laughs> Katy Perry's Simlish fireworks cover. So, yeah, this lasts for like two, three years tops. Mm -hmm. It's definitely one of those. It was so popular. It was such a craze. It had to crash at some point and just completely disappear, which it did for several years. But in 2005, there was a slight revival that didn't really take off as well as the uh, the revival to come after it. But they did release uh, them as Emotronic Furbies. Not Emototronic. Emofurbies are the weird custom ones with the bangs over their eyes that you can find on Tumblr. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The Emototronic My Chemical Romance albums are truly horrific truly like to the point where there's actually within furby communities the this generation of furby is actually much more sought after because while there were tens of millions of just discount closeout just loose furbies that have just stocked warehouses in the intervening years these furbies were so hated uh for a their cumbersome size they were twice as big as regular furbies and they had fleshy latex mouths 
that had little, <laughs> uh, more cams, more plastic widgets that could let them smile creepily and frown creepily. And the eyes are creepier too. The the eyelids are somehow more disturbing than the previous model as well. And yet their like weird soft faces make them a must have item for the modern Furby collector. And they were actually huge in Japan. There's tons of blogs where people still like dress up their Emototronic Furbies in outfits. They take them on trips. It's actually, uh, there's, there's, for all of the just quiet horror of the fleshy mouth 2005 Furbies, there is a deep love that still exists for them that make them now more special. Than the original first. They also, by the way, came without the light and basic motion sensors, and so they don't react to changes in light or loud noises like the originals. And they, for the love of God, though, had an on-off switch. <laughs> uh, so that is good. But yeah, these were these were a bit of a flash in the pan, though. At the time, didn't really quite re-emerge the Furby in popularity. But, uh, but that did happen Wait, in 2012. One more thing, if we're talking 2005 Furby, uh, the... There was a animated series uh, made by Frederator Studios, which has come up a lot of times. Uh, Fred Seabird, uh, the Cartoon Network Nickelodeon Svengali, who made a lot of things. Uh, there was a movie called Furby Island that aired on Nickelodeon, and it has some oh, of the most upsetting CG you've ever seen in the world. The entire thing is available on YouTube, as well as several YouTubers just uh, doing what the fuck reaction essays about it. Um, it is the it is uncanny beyond uncanny, and in, weirdly enough, it's the humans that look more disturbing than the Furbies in this cartoon. Supposedly, an entire thirteen episode TV series was produced on the back of the ratings for this original movie, and due to a leadership change at Nickelodeon at the time, it is now lost media. Like you cannot find it at all. Ah. It was never aired. So how did you wait? Do you just remember this then or? No, no, no. There's the Furby online community, the wikis, the blogs, the essays. There is just there. People care so much about these oh, creatures yeah. that everything has been like uh, kind of kept and maintained. I believe it was an animator who worked on the series, confirmed that it was in production and that episodes were completed and never aired. So, yes, in 2012, the Furby returns to the shelves. This time it's a hit, largely due to the major technological advances that they made. Uh, while taking a note from the Furby's inspiration, the Tamagotchi, depending on how you raised this model of Furby, it could end up with different personality types. And the way that it would change its personality types is terrifying. Incorporated an iOS and Android app that was called Furby Boom, uh, this is when they introduced the LCD screen eyes. Uh, this was a basic black and white LCD with a backlight. But yes, there was a personality mechanic that responded to whether you overfed it or underfed it, whether you let it sleep or whether you would wake it up in the middle of the night. And uh, some of these personalities were flat out weird and scary and mean. Uh, I believe it was the more feminine voices were nice. There was ones like the princess and then there were others like the ninja or the Viking that would just grunt and <laughs> fart and like just be an asshole. And it would have a default regular Furby personality. And then when the correct parameters were met, it would start like shaking. The eyes would start <laughs> flashing out and it would just Me go. <laughs> Say, yeah, yeah. We'll play the clip. We'll play the clip. Yeah, let's play the clip right now. Yeah, horrifying. 
<laughs> and now let's listen to the DK rap. April! No! I thought I was so, safe. I genuinely thought I was safe. Other advancements included more expressive LCD screen eyes and an app, uh, as you mentioned, on the smartphone. It would even translate your furbish for you in real time, by the way. You could like like um, that old app. What was the name of that app where you'd play music? You'd, you'd have Shazam? A, Shazam. Or you'd have a list of a song and tell you what song it was. It would listen to the furbish and like translate it for you in real time, which is kind of amazing, among other things. Uh, then in 2013... Uh, the Furby Boom. Uh, actually, Furby, Furby Boom. I thought was a follow up in 2013, featuring a larger vocabulary and the ability ability to memorize its own name as well as the names of other Furbies. And, and it also came with a more complex app in which one could hatch and raise little Furblings and even build their own Furbling cities. And then they introduced actual physical Furblings. These were tiny Furbies. Um, they were released in 2014, and they actually worked best while interacting with a Furby boom. So you would kind of create a whole family dynamic there. Uh, the most recent incarnation of the Furby is the Furby Connect, which works with an app called Furby World Connect. Literally provides a full digital world. Kind of brings a Sims vibe into it. You can like create homes, buildings and stuff for oh, the Furbies. Things get weird with the full app connected Furbies. There's, um, I know I saw clips of one functionality where uh, when the Furby had to go to the toilet, you had to open the toilet in the app, put the Furby above the screen and then squeeze its stomach and then like green fart gas would come pouring out on the screen. <laughs> the Furby Connect is an atrocious little monster. Uh, the design <laughs> is actually really cute. They rounded out the Furby. They made its mouth smaller. They made its eyes bigger. Uh, the ears were changed so that it didn't look like a mogwai. It kind of has these antennas. Uh, like like kind of radar dish kind of ears with an antenna on top. And um, it, it's also kind of annoying. <laughs> like uh, it would literally, it would beckon you to come over. It would make you open the app and then it would watch a pre-approved child-friendly viral video clip. And uh. it would like comment over it while you watched it together. Stuff like <laughs> cats doing silly things or a grandma playing the drums. <laughs> the, of course, still the nefariousness could not escape. Because it turns out the Furby Connect used an unsecured, unencrypted Bluetooth connection to communicate between the uh, the iPhone or iPad and the Furby itself, which made it extremely vulnerable for people either putting code into the Furby, playing audio that was not approved, playing video that was not approved, or just using it as a spy cam or microphone uh, the hackers that had access to the Furby said that they could, within a hundred meters, turn a Furby into a Bluetooth microphone and spy on children with it. Wow, that's fun. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. There's the whole uh, what was it called? The uh, I was talking to my buddy Evan, who's a big audio guy. He would open up the Furby. It was really easy to like circuit mess with bend. the audio circuit bending. Yeah, you get cir- there was all circuit bending movement that loved the Furby because of how accessible it was. Very interesting shit. There was a, a YouTuber named Look Mum No Computer that actually got 40 Furbies uh, wired up to a synthesizer so he could make like a little unholy choir out of a bunch of first generation Furbies. Um, and it's around this time in the 2014, 2016 
uh, era that the world of Furbler kind of comes into being. Now, Tumblr, if you've spent any time on modern Twitter, you almost have an idea of the level of drama and beauty and infighting that can be born from an internet community. And to be true, truth be told, this kind of thing exists among fandom OCs, it exists among fan fiction writers, it exists among various doll communities, whether it's Japanese ball-jointed dolls or beanie babies or whatever. People build lore, people build communities, there's scammers, there's weird like wars over whether or not posting not safe for work Furby art is like uh, akin to child abuse. Of course, you've got the lawnmower man just getting involved in all those things digitally, sabotaging things, murdering people in real life, and then bringing them it's into the digital world. It's not a good movie. Why is the lawnmower man such a touchstone <laughs> for you? You know what it is? I've never seen Lawnmower Man. I'm actually just guessing what happens in it. I've also not read the book it is based on, but it is such a um, dumb fascination of mine that it exists. All right, fine. We're doing an episode on Lawnmower Man. I mean, at the oh, very fuck it. And we'll also play the DK rap again. April! No. Hit it! Twice! Twice, you fucking bastard. That's so then in the late In the late 2010s, a new terror was unleashed upon the world via Tumblr and other online f- forums, and that was Long Furby. And I think that kind of is what seems to have kicked off this trend of distorting the Furby into mm-hmm. horrific, monsterish forms. Vice Magazine managed to trace this creature back to a 23-year-old photography student and wedding caterer who goes by Aloe, or at least went by at the time. Aloe was inspired by meme culture with stuff like Long Cat, a very long cat that was photographed in Japan and ended up getting the Photoshop treatment on 4chan and where it spread from there. So she created the monstrosity. It weighs 15 ounces and is three feet and two inches long, held together by this like incredibly long teddy bear spine. The long Furby loves gardening, pizza, and hot dogs. Did you you mentioned lore a second ago, Jake? Here we go. Uh, and the long Furby is photographed enjoying all of these things uh, that, that I just mentioned. O- other folks then got involved and started creating and selling their own horrifying long Furby creations, such as Boots with the Furb, uh, a Instagram account that added their own terrifying spin on the creature with feet protruding throughout the long Furby body. And antlers and stuff like that why is even before we add the antlers and the spider legs and the original long furby is a white furby it is just literally a furby that is just elongated as if it got stretched way out with the feet at the bottom and the head at the top why is that so fucking freaky man (laughs) what is it about that why does it totally just make you because it's a corruption it's a corruption of a form that you already didn't trust and um, yeah you know this was Part of a there's an entire Furby customization community where uh, a lot of the common things involve like adding uh, dyeing the fur, adding lore and backstory. To, you know, Furbies are gentle forest spirits or angels or just fashionistas. Uh, a common thread is usually they will have a custom beaded necklace with their name on it, and it's just a form of expression. The fact is, uh, especially those Gen One Furbies, there were so many made. That there's just almost no reason not to like just grab a bunch off eBay and have fun with it. One of my favorites is the Forb, the Furby Orb, which is just a mass of Furby faces all <laughs> in a sphere. 
Yeah. Another one I love, if you ever want to see how creative the custom Furby community can get, is Buttered Noodles the Furby, which has like these uh, uncanny like hands all over uh, itself. I saw the one that was like um, SpaghettiOs, but a Furby. It was like this mound <laughs> of like SpaghettiOs, oh, yeah, but in the, the beans shape Furby. of a Furby. It's just, you so know, it's, mo- it's, gen- it's, it's not even, it's specifically Zillennial culture. It's, yeah. uh, you know, for every fucked up Pikachu or every like weird Kermit the Frog that exists, the Furby is just a familiar form that, uh, you know, there's added emotional impact from corruption, from embellishment. Yeah, yeah. It's the perfect combination of creepy and nostalgic that mm-hmm. is just mwah for the internet content. And it's a blank canvas. You can do so much with it. Sky is the limit. Like... That the long Furby was just the beginning. I mean, there's so many. You know, I like the ones yeah with the baby doll arms and legs added to it. The uh, you already mentioned the spider one, but I really like that one as well. It just goes on and on, and then you immediately like, especially because they like to put that creepy Furby in a situation too, like a tea party or something. Mm-hmm. It just like starts to just immediately tell a story you don't want to hear but are (laughs) fascinated it's like scp shit or something Mm, absolutely absolutely it takes the uncanniness and runs with it it takes what was furby's greatest weakness and makes it into a strength which i feel like like i said i feel like a lot of people in marginalized communities find empowering actually find kind of uh uh, validating taking the thing that makes you weird and embracing it to its fullest. Wouldn't you know I have a good quote? So many, this is uh, the account creator, um, an account creator that would do like videos and stuff with Furbies. So many of the people I follow and who follow me are LGBTQ plus artists, punks, geeks. I think the Furby community is another place for people on the outskirts of what's considered normal to find each other, to be encouraged and just have space. Being on here has helped me feel less alone and more comfortable with myself and creating. Couldn't have awesome. said it better. And, and and by the way, this is this is like new, or I'm sorry, not new. This is ongoing. This mm-hmm. is this is not slowed down. And I think people really are shocked that there still is this big community around it. But it's just fucking endlessly entertaining watching people fuck with Furbies. And uh, now there's a secondary market of 3D printed Furby faceplates because as the hobby has grown. Uh, the secondary market for Furbies and uh, the components has made it a little bit more expensive of a hobby than it used to be. But now people are kind of uh, moving beyond the Furby as a mass produced object and it's becoming its own art form. Totally. Well, I think that's about all I have. Jake, anything else before we wrap this up? I just I was thoroughly tickled by this subject. I went into yeah, this just being like, what was this weird ass toy from the 90s? And it really kind of uh, tells a story about technology. It tells a story about uh, capitalism. It tells a story about creativity. And I just, there's so much to learn behind those dead, horrifying eyes. <laughs> I can have said that better myself, Jake. Uh, all right, let's let's call it. Thank you so much for enjoying our episode on Furbies, or not enjoying it, or, or making it spin you out into some psychological meltdown. I don't know what's going on in your life. I just know what's going on in my fucking life. I barely, you know what? I don't even barely know what's going on with that. 
You know what I mean? So don't sit here and expect me to have some mental ability to know how the hell you what you're doing. And you can watch this live in San Francisco, (laughs) L.A., Dallas, and Austin. Go to lastpodcastnetwork.com to get your tickets to the Whisper Page 7 live show. Yeah, sure. That'll be fun. San Fran, L.A., Dallas, Austin. Come get it, suckers. Wait, not suckers. We love you guys. (laughs) I'm kidding. I love you guys. Uh, And if you'd like to support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Weekly episodes for just $5 a month, $15 a month. You get uh, our Sunday study session where we hang out on Discord and we go over whatever we're covering. Uh, A lot of fun doing the Furbies. You're telling me there's bonus episodes and commercial free episodes? A mainstream episode right. all on our Patreon feed that for just $5 a month, you can support the show and get all that good, good audio goodness? Hell yeah, I buried the lead too. Ad-free episodes, almost more important than the bonus content. There you go. Over there on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Check me out. I stream Monday through Friday on Twitch. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. I'm streaming when we're not on tour, at least. I'm streaming Monday through Friday. Jerk! Uh, I'm also doing some streamy stuff. Thursday nights are 7 p.m. Eastern. It's the Cartoon Dumpster, a cavalcade of animated atrocities hosted by me as my VTuber avatar, Puppet Jared. And it is a rollicking good time. Think Saturday morning cartoons meets your favorite episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. It is a hell of a time. Go to twitch.tv slash puppetjared or simulcast youtube.com slash puppetjared Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern and check me out. All right. And you know what that means. We're at the end of the show. So, hey, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio... And producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.